We've been looking as a church at the secret of strength in the book of Nehemiah. I was reminded two weeks ago, two Sundays ago, of the secret of strength for the body at least. When you think of the story of Nehemiah, you, you think about building projects, you think about leadership, communication, uh, some wonderful lessons we learn about the power of people working together. Today we want to explore the secret of strength in Nehemiah. But two Sundays ago, we was out riding with friends and had a wonderful ride up around the north side of Brisbane and we returned back uh, for a hot drink and then after the hot drink I was riding home with a friend and I found myself leaning too close to the fence on the bike path and as I steered myself and leaned away from the fence, my handlebar clipped the fence my handlebar turned sharply to the left and I did, I did a somersault over the bars. Found myself in ED pretty quickly. And uh, for those of you who can read these little charts, uh, I broke a sternum, fractured my sternum and my vertebra in the back. So, so I'm just thrilled to be here today. But I may not be thrilled to shake your hand afterwards or bear hugs and all that sort of stuff. That's all out for me as our joke. So today's sermon will be very serious. <laughs> but I praise God I'm... I'm here, it wasn't worse. Um, when I think of strength, I typically think of the arms. Uh, not me, of course, but some of you have very nice arms, very strong. But if your core and your back are not functioning, uh, it doesn't matter how strong your arms are, the secret of your strength is probably deeper down. It's the unseen and it's the core muscles of the back and the stomach. And so as we begin today, I want you to think about the strength of any organization where does it lie? The strength of any church. Where is the strength of the church? Is it here uh, with the musicians? Is it here with the leadership, the, the preachers, the stories? Is it there at the back? Where is the strength for a church? Is it our website? Our wonderful communications? Is it the board? Where do you think the strength of this church actually lies? And the secret of that strength. The strength is here. With you. And you. And you. And Roger. And Kyle. And Jenna and Steve. This is where the strength is. We are only as strong as we as a people are engaged in mission. It doesn't matter how clever our communications, or our sermons, or our music. It doesn't matter how wonderful and beautiful things look, if the people are not engaged in the mission, the church can never be strong. We are the backbone. We are the people who make up the church. The church has never been about buildings or programs. The church has always been about God's people. The same is true in Nehemiah. At first glance, we see leadership lessons when we think about the book of Nehemiah, we think about um, you know, Nehemiah's amazing leadership. But I want to start with this illustration. This took place in 2014. Some of you have seen this video before. They're at the platform, hopping onto the train. This man falls between the, the platform and the train. He's stuck. Fortunately, somebody raises the alarm and alerts the guards. The guards rush in. There's a little bit of key leadership and communication that takes place. Hey, stop the train. And very soon, everybody's coming on board. And what do they do? They work together as one. Everybody pulls their weight. 
Together they push the train to the side and this man is released. After three or four efforts, he's pulled free, stands up and he walks away. It's a wonderful analogy, not only of what's happening in Nehemiah, but what the church is called to do. You think about the people who are stuck between a rock and a hard place around this church, around your life. What are we called to do? Well, we've been studying how in the first two chapters of Nehemiah, he is distressed. He hears about what's happening back in Jerusalem. And he's serving as cupbearer to a foreign king, Xerxes. And he says to Xerxes, who asks him, why the long face? He says, how can I be happy when my people are broken? When the walls of my city back home are in ruins? Will you give me permission to go home and to fix it up? And we learned that Nehemiah went back to Jerusalem with a couple of blank checks from this foreign king. And he begins to assign different families... Okay, The people are assigned a part of the wall. Where is your home going to be? Okay, you build this part of the wall. Your home's over near that gate, you build that gate. And so on and so forth. And the people rose up and took up their place, if you like, pushing the train together. What's amazing is the speed in which this took place. They faced opposition. Sanballat and Tobiah were two men who were famous for ridicule and trying to tear down the heart and the courage and even uh, threatening to come and attack the people of Israel as they rebuilt the walls. Nehemiah was a clever leader. He, knew the under- he understood the importance of clear direction and clear communication. In fact, he said to the trumpet player, you, don't leave my side. If we need to blow this trumpet, you're going to be the first one to know about it. And Nehemiah and trumpet player went together the next 52 days. On the walls, he assigned families not only to the places where they would build, but he said, half of you build, half of you arm yourselves. If we come under attack, we'll be ready. And those of you who are building, you'll have a trowel in one hand, put your sword on your belt in case we need it. And so the people of Israel, the people served together. Everybody owned a part of the wall. And the amazing thing is, even though they faced opposition, they responded to it. Even though it was difficult, Nehemiah directed them and the people worked together as one. It's one of the most amazing pictures of leadership and accomplishment. And the amazing thing was that after 52 days, the walls were finished. This is a picture of what Jerusalem looked like back in those days. Of course, it's much larger now. And in our children's story, we learned something about the walls. Thank you, Darren and Shannon, for that. But I want you to think about the incredible nature of what took place there. Nehemiah chapter 6, he puts it like this. He says, So the wall was built, completed on the 25th of Elul, that's the, the Jewish month, in 52 days. When our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized this work had been done with the help of God. So I want you to imagine with me, if every single person and every single family that makes up Springwood Church 
What if we all found our little piece of glass on the train? What if we found a way for our family each to pull our part in this vision? What could we be capable of? And I'm not just thinking building projects. If you think back in our history, there's been some amazing building projects. Some of you know what this is. What are we looking at here? This is right here when this place was being built. That's the LDC looking from the outside windows over here through to the front doors there. Children, most of you have never seen the trees this small. You can't remember that long ago. But this is the LDC soon after it was completed. It's amazing what this church has accomplished in just in terms of building projects alone. We're talking about, we're going to start talking about soon another building project down underneath the LDC where it may be developed so that we can pass faith on to younger generations more effectively as a church. There's exciting things ahead in that department, but think about the vision and the mission of this church. What if we all found our little part in bringing faith to this community. What could we become? What difference could we make to our city? How many lives might be rescued from being wedged in between a rock and a hard place of life? How many young families could be transformed? How many single mums could find community and a place for their kids to be loved and nurtured by others? What could we do about the brokenness here in our part of the city if all of us worked together I like to think about this. And the question that comes to me is, what am I doing as part of my church family to push that train to the side? And I ask myself, what if everyone in the church was committed to the level that I'm committed? Would we fare well or would we fare poorly as a church? What if our church was committed to the level that you're committed to? It's a tough question, isn't it? But I like to think if we realized that there are people stuck in the wedges of life and that if we work together, we are capable of miraculous things under God. Well, that's where Nehemiah takes it after chapter 6. If you look in chapter 7, what do you see there? There's actually a whole bunch of names coming in chapter 7. Don't worry, we're not going to read through them. But look at verses 1 and 2. He says this. Verses 1 and 2. Now the city, after the wall had been rebuilt and I'd set doors in place, the gatekeepers, the musicians and the Levites were appointed. Where do you think Nehemiah is heading with this? The building project is done. But there's a deeper vision, there's a true vision that needs accomplishing. And Nehemiah begins to put in place structures and leadership and governance and those that will lead the worship. Because it's not about ultimately the wall. God is rebuilding his people in the book of Nehemiah. He's rebuilding this nation that's been in exile, it's been in captivity for so long. It's even lost a knowledge of who God is. Verse 2, he puts in charge of Jerusalem his brother Hanani along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most do. Further down, verse 3, appointed residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at their posts, 
some near their own houses. Nehemiah begins to call the people in chapter 7, all those names that you can see there if you have your Bibles. There's all this list of people. He's calling them by family name out of the countryside where they've been hiding because there's been no protection in the city. The walls have been in ruins. They've been hiding from their enemies right across the countryside. Now Nehemiah says, come back. People of God, wherever you are, come back to the city of God because we are going to be a nation again. Captivity no more. We're not building military this time. The walls are established. God is calling you back to the city of God. We are, we are ready to be a nation. We are going to accomplish what God has given us as a people to do. And they begin to come. And as they come, they decide where their houses are going to be. And he stations them as guards to protect the city. How good is it going to be when Jesus opens that eastern sky? It peels back like a scroll. And he comes and he calls the people of God by name back to the city of God. I mean, if you like, in John chapter 14, there's something of a building project taking place. What does he say? In my father's house, in many rooms. If that wasn't so, I would have told you. But I'm going to prepare a place for you so that when I come back, I can take you to be with me where I am. So don't let your hearts be troubled. Jesus is coming and he's coming soon. The building project, it's not about that. He's coming for his people. And when that role gets called up yonder, will you be able to say, I'll be there? Is that your heart's desire? Lord, I'll be there. Begins to call them back to God. The building is done. Now it's time for his people to come and fulfill their mission. Now, as we think about this, it's really important that we understand, even though the greatest strength of any church is its people, there's a significant threat that comes with it. You know what the greatest threat to our church fulfilling its mission is? Have you ever thought about the greatest threat to our mission? I don't think it's money. Lauren stood here last week and he reminded us that there are costs to ministry. That the joy that we have worshipping in this place comes at some price and we all need to contribute to that. But I don't think money is the threat. I don't think it's organization. I think we are well led from the local church right through to the general conference. We have leaders in place. I don't think being organized is threatening us. I don't think it's our theology. We have the word of God. Everyone has the word of God. We can teach it. As a church, we have elders there to protect the way we teach it. We have a whole denomination. I don't think we're going to lose our way in a hurry theologically. The greatest threat to this church achieving what it's called to achieve lies in every single one of us. It's the sin problem. Because although God set things up beautifully in the beginning, sin came, it infected me and you, so that I am by nature bent. I'm bent towards myself. And the problem with that is that I drift. Every day I'm drifting towards self-pleasing and away from God. And you and I are both facing the same problem. The Bible makes that clear. We are all suffering with a bentness of nature. 
that will cause us to drift away from God and towards our own comfort, our own self-pleasure. The greatest threat, my friends, is that we will forget who we are because we drift. If you go back, let's just remind ourselves, we go back to the beginning. God creates the heavens and the earth. He forms from the dust mankind breathes into his nostrils. He becomes a living being. Man and female, he creates them in his image. The very first thing he does with us is what? Sabbath. God's purposes for us, primarily, from the moment we were created, are about togetherness with him and with each other. But we forget that. We begin to think that our identity is somehow caught up in other stuff. Some of us fall into that lie of believing that our identity is about what we can achieve. Have you ever tended towards achievement as a sense of well-being and purpose, who I am? Some of us become more workaholics because somehow that feeds our sense of who we are. For others, it's what we have. And we think that by accumulation of stuff and goods and money, somehow that will feed who I am. And I will feel better about myself. For others, it's that people would think well of me, regard me highly. So we go about people pleasing or building platforms or, or profiles so that people will think more of me. And we get sucked into these traps of thinking I am what I have, I am what I do, I am what people think of me. That's not who you are. You're a child of God. That's never going to change. And when your identity is rooted and, and founded in Christ, everything else takes its proper place. Your relationship to him becomes real. When your identity is true, your relationship with Christ can be alive and well. You can spend time with him. Hear his voice speaking into your life through his word. It's interesting, you know, the two things that God has put into place for us. Two things that remind us powerfully of who we are and our purpose in life. The Sabbath and tithes and offerings. Think about this. Every seven days, God wants me to stop accumulating, achieving, building, working, and remember who I am, whom I came from. That's the real meaning of Sabbath. It's not about what you can do, what you can't do. The Jews had these lists of things. God says, remember whom you came from. Put all that achievement down and remember and spend time with me in relationship. And then he gave us tithes and offerings because even though I want to be the sole provider for my life, God reminds me, everything you have comes from me. Trust me in this. If you look to yourself to provide only for yourself, you better get out your calculator because you're going to need it. But if you test and trust me in this, we get to use my calculator instead. And I can pour blessing into your life because you're looking to me to provide for you. It's so easy to lose these things. We lose our identity. We lose our relationship with him. We lose our purpose. And even our resources, we begin to spend them in such a way 
that we personally are the end goal. We begin to use our resources for number one. God is calling us to so much more. Just as in Nehemiah, it's not about the building project. I'm building a nation. The Sabbath is not about a list, a, a rule, a list of rules of do's and don'ts. It's about relationship with me. Tithes and offerings, it's not about the maths or the dollars. It's not about that at all. It's about whom you trust to provide for you and how you see your mission in this world. Is it primarily about you or have you committed to using it in partnership with me? So Nehemiah, in the book of uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, he begins to lead the people back to God. They've forgotten who he is. I've gotten behind here. Ezra comes forward and he begins to read the scriptures, gathers all the people together. Now just notice these few words. Ezra brings the law. Now the law is just the five books of the Bible that begin your Bible and mine. He begins to read the scriptures before the assembly because they have totally lost it, forgotten. They've been in captivity so long. And he reads aloud from daybreak until noon and all the people listened attentively. That's a long sermon right there. We're not going till noon. We've gone past noon, actually. We're not going all day from daybreak today. But there's this season of reading Scripture to the people. They make it clear, verse 8, they give meaning to it so that the people can understand what's being read. Now look what happens here. In one of these sessions where he leads them in, word, in the word and worship, they stood where they were. They read from the book of the law. And then they spent time in confession and in worship of the Lord their God. The greatest threat we face is that we would drift away from God and toward ourselves. God calls us back, and how does he do it? With his word. Let me ask you, it's the simplest thing. Two things take place here. They listened attentively, and they responded appropriately. That's what revival is. So I'll ask you, when's the last time you personally listened attentively to God's words to you? I'm not talking about sermons here. Sermons are great. But if that's all you're surviving spiritually on, you are starving. God calls you to be under his word regularly so he can speak to you. Just like Christia showed us those zoomed in pictures and then the zoom out, you'll only ever get the big picture unless you sit with Christ, the Savior, and you hear from him. He will show you things zoomed in for you. How long has it been since you listened attentively to his word? And secondly, since you responded appropriately. Here's what I find in my life, and then we're going to close. If this is the word, and this is me, okay? When I start to think that I have little to learn from the word, when I begin to see myself as more important or it as less important than me, it becomes dry as bones and it cannot reach me. But when I surrender myself and humble myself before God and I invite him to speak into my life, do you know what? That word comes alive and it begins to encourage and exhort and rebuke and teach and guide. What is your relationship with the word? And are you hearing it attentively? And can you respond appropriately? 
as God's people are revived, they make an agreement with God. And John's going to talk about this next Sabbath. The people make an agreement with God. We want to walk with you, God. And Nehemiah does two things, essentially. He reintroduces Sabbaths and he teaches them about tithes and offerings. You know why? He wants them to know whom they came from. He wants them to know that you are not some primordial dust that evolved from fish, turned into monkeys, and then became what you are today with no purpose, no plan, and your future is extinction someday, and that's it. The Sabbath reminds you that you were created by the most supreme being in the universe. The God of heaven, the king of the universe, and you are his daughter, you are his son. You can walk this earth with your head held high and carry hope and healing wherever you go. And that if we work together as a church, we can push trains of families that are being suffocated in our community. We can help people who have no hope find Jesus. We can help people whose lives are miserable and lonely. We can bring them into a community like this one. I want to be part of that. I'm sure you do too. In closing, let's remind ourselves what's possible. Think about the people whose lives we haven't yet touched. But if we work together, we can. If Nehemiah teaches us anything, it's not just that when a bit of leadership, a bit of communication, a bit of people power, we can do amazing things. It goes far deeper than that. The true message of Nehemiah is that when God's people are revived and serving together, miracles can take place. The secrets of strength. Number one, strength in a church comes when each of us walks faithfully with God, simply listening to his word and responding appropriately. And secondly, secret of strength for people that have been revived and are walking with him is when I own my part and you own yours and together we build and protect our church family let's pray together Father it's a privilege that we can have your words they bring life to us when we sit under them and hear them attentively no doubt Lord you've spoken to us today in a thousand different ways. And simply ask, Lord, that each of us would respond appropriately to what you are saying to each of us. And as a church, Lord, may we be more than the sum of our parts. May we be people under God who together believe in what you've called us to and find ways to lean in and find that piece of glass on the train where our family, where me individually, where each of us can, can own our part and push together. Because we know you're coming soon, Lord. Someday soon that train's going to move and it'll be too late. So help us, Lord, to be all that you've called us to be because you're our Father and we're your children. And you've given us a purpose so grand, Lord, to be your ambassadors in this world that you would make your appeal to the world through us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.